Acts, uh, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2 today, and uh, I titled this uh, The Day the Church Was Born, or I was going to put Let the Party Begin, uh, because that's really, that's really what is happening here. And the, one of the reasons that I love studying the book of Acts is, again, it's not so much, though it is the apostles that are on display here to a certain degree, it really is the acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles and then the disciples, ultimately reaching all the way to you and I here in Bakersfield, California, you might say, because the gospel began in Jerusalem. It went to Judea, it went to Samaria, and then ultimately it's reached all the way to us in the uttermost parts of the world, or as Billy Sunday would say, the guttermost parts of the world. And uh, a lot of people look at Bakersfield that way, but not us, because this is home. But uh, as we begin here this morning, you know, I think about, you know, the birth of the church and births are amazing things. How many parents do we have in here today? You're a parent. Yeah. And you think back to like, you know, one of the greatest miracles was, you know, when your child, you know, first child, all of them are, are miraculous, but that first child, I remember, Lee, how many hours of labor was it with Bree? Do you remember? You tried to block it out? Yeah. It was like 16 hours, was it something like that? That was killing me. I just want you guys to know. I mean, whew. you know, I had nobody to fix breakfast or lunch or dinner that day. It was like, you know, um, it was amazing though. I mean, you know, they, it just was going on forever and ever and ever. And, you know, we did the Lamaze classes, you know, they had back then. So you didn't use any kind of medication or anything. It was natural childbirth and, um, you know, I remember going to the birthing center and we got there and got checked in and, you know, we're thinking it's going to be a few minutes and it just goes on and on and on. And I shared this with you. It was so funny. The, uh, there was a Dodger game on that day. It was a Saturday when Bree was born and, uh, the game was on and the nurse came in and she's looking at me and she's giving me this, like, really this, like a scowl. Like she's looking like you low life scum of the earth, you know? And I'm like looking at her and she goes, you know, she goes, um, your, your wife's having a baby. You, do you think like maybe you could watch something else like that? And I look and I go, it's not me watching it. It's her watching the Dodger game like that. And she looks at her and Lee's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a diehard Dodger fan. And I was like, you know, yeah. I go, I'm here trying to be supportive. I'm not trying to, you know, do my own thing here. And this go the the whole process just keeps going on and on. And all of a sudden, you know, the doctor comes in and they go, Hey, you know, we're gonna start pushing. And and all of a sudden, you know, Bree's little head, you know, crowns and, and I'm standing there and I'm watching this. And I mean, I'm thinking to myself, this is the most I I, I could not comprehend at the birth of my daughter how anybody could be an atheist. It was just one of those things that it just grips your heart. If you're a parent, and you got to see this, you're going, this is a miracle to think that in our love together, you know, as husband and wife, that my wife and I conceived a baby, that this child has come from us and passing through my, my wife's body into this world, you know, as, as her own person. And it was such a, a beautiful experience. And and I remember, you know, the, the doctor, when uh, Brie was born, um, I had the chicken pox about, I got the chicken pox about two weeks before Brie was, was to be born. And obviously if you had the chicken pox, you know, you can't go. And they said, you know, if, if you still are 
contagious, you can't, you know, uh, go and be with her. And so we had to come up with a contingency plan. But I was taking hydrogen peroxide, I remember, and I was putting it on my face every day because he said he was going to look at the, the, I had, if, if you'd have to, and my wife will attest to this, Dr. Baker, who was my doctor even then, he said that the, my case of, of uh, chickenpox was the worst that he'd ever seen in his life. I mean, I had them on every square inch of my body, in, in my body, outside my body, in my mouth, in every place that you could have a chickenpox. And, and they were about the size of my, my little pinky fingernail. And so I'm putting this peroxide on to try to dry my face out, you know, and it hurts so bad. And he's like, he's telling me, well, if you do that, it's going to scar you. And I'm like, I don't want to miss this though. I, I don't care, you know, what I look like. I, all I care about is I get to be there at the birth of our daughter. And so I'm there and I got released the, the day before uh, they released me on Friday. They said, if, okay, if Lee goes into labor, you can, you can, you know, you can be with her. And so it was like 11 o'clock that night, Friday night, Lee goes into labor and she was just, you know, in the true sense was holding back. And uh, for my benefit, she, she was wanting, you know, Hey, I want you to be there. And, uh, so when Bree starts to come out, um, her hand actually was above her head and the doctor was a believer. And when, when Bree came out, he said, you know, you have a daughter, which was a surprise because we thought we were having a boy. Everybody told us we were having a boy. He said, you have a daughter. And he goes, and look, she's praising Jesus. And she had her arm out there. And it was one of those, those moments, you know, that Lee and I will never forget because, you know, her whole life she's been praising Jesus. I mean, we were just so blessed. You know, she was one of those, those kids that, you know, from her earliest being, she loved Jesus and she's always loved Jesus. And, and it was just one of those things where, you know, I, I could never, ever forget that. You remember all your kid's birth, but that was, that was the, the, the first. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, it's, it's just like time, in a sense, stood still. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful day that was. I think you can probably remember back, and if you're, as a parent, your own children's life. And there's just something about, you know, that first. And uh, I think of that with regard to our grandkids, uh, though we have uh, Sailor, you know, um, by adoption, you know, my, my son married uh, Brittany and she had a daughter from a previous uh, marriage. Um, but Reese, you know, was uh, our first in the sense of biologically into our family and before Sailor, you know, came into our family picture. And there's just something about that, you know, we were there, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, that uh, I, I love my kids, but if I could have skipped kids and went straight to grandkids, I probably would have done it. I mean, grandkids are just like, they're like the best because you can just spoil them and then send them home, right? Their parents have to deal with it. So you get to be the good guy all the time. And the parents get to be, you know, the, the bad guy. And, uh, but uh, there's just something so sweet. And I, and I remember hers. I mean, I, you, we have eight grandchildren, but that one, because it, it was the first and, and it just stands out to you. And I, I think about, you know, the, the church that day when the church was born and, and again, how many have ever used Ancestry.com, you know, by the way? You know, it's another thing. Like you look into that and you, and you look at your family history and you, you can appreciate, you know, where you came from. And I, I think that's why it's so important to take time and study, you know, the book of Acts in particular, because this is the birth of the church. This is our Ancestry, you know, .com, you might say, is the book of Acts, especially chapter two and going back and looking at, you know, how, how the church came into being. And uh, that this was a planned event. It wasn't an accident. This wasn't an afterthought. The church was 
planned by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all working in, you know, in conjunction together. And again, it was born into this world you know, 2,000 years ago you know, on the day of Pentecost. And I love it because you think back to that, uh, that moment in time, and we'll read this here, you know, that 3,000 souls, or you might say spiritual babies, uh, were born into the kingdom of God that day. And, and it continues to, you know, uh, work even to this day and then through us. But uh, this, this day is so special, and it's never been duplicated. I mean, you know, people talk about, you know, having Pentecost experiences, but, but this was a one only. You know, the, it'll, it, things happen. You know, obviously the Spirit, you know, fell upon people and, and came upon people after this, and they spoke in tongues. But uh, never, never in this way, shape, or form, has the Holy Spirit since that day move like this? And so this is a, a one-off, you might say. It's a standalone day. It's the first uh, of, of these birthdays. And so I wanted to read it with you in its entirety. We won't, we won't cover all of it, but I think we need to um, read the chapter you know, as a whole to really appreciate um, you know, really what the Lord wants to teach us. And we're not going to hurry through it as we go through this over the next few weeks, because like I said, it's so important for us to go back and to remember, you know, the birth of the church and, and what God was doing then, and ultimately to look at what he's doing today, as Larry was, was leading us, you know, in worship and talking about, you know, when the Holy Spirit was, was given and came upon the church and the impact that that's had, not only then, but what it has today. And there's obviously a lot of confusion with regard to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit operates. And so over the next few weeks, we want to try to uh, clear some of that up in, in hopes that it helps us really appreciate and enjoy uh, the time that we get to spend together. So let's read that together. You can read whatever translation you know that the Lord uh, has led you to. I'm going to read from the NLT translation here this morning. I'll pick it up in verse 1, and it says, On the day of Pentecost, it says, All believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, and when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. And here we are, Parthians and Medes and uh, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and comfort, uh, converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our languages about, and here's the key, the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? And they asked each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. And then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully 
all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. And I love this because he's going, because it's only nine in the morning. You know, he's like, if it was three, that might be a different story. But no, but he's going, it's only nine o'clock in the morning, which is too early for that. You know, he's a fisherman, okay? You give him some grace here. He says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be forsaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul amongst the dead, or will you allow your Holy One to rot in the grave? You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and he was buried, and his tomb is still here amongst us. And he's basically saying, even to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on this throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words, it says, pierced their heart and said to them, and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, which includes us, all who have been called by the Lord our God. It says, then Peter continued preaching for a long time strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, 
about 3,000 in all. Then it says, And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, which included the Lord's Supper, like we'll take today, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those that were in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for their Lord's Supper, and they shared in meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture, the day that the church was born. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that, God, you just massage your truths into our heart. May we just appreciate and celebrate today, God, what you began to do then and what you continue to do this day, even as as we gather in this place to know after our second service today, we'll be baptizing uh, some within our congregation who have repented of their sins and have turned to you and, Lord, uh, now desire to walk in obedience and be baptized, and, and Lord, who want so much and hunger and thirst, Lord, for filling and, and refilling, and uh, Lord, again and again, of all that you would have for them. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're alive. Thank you that we're not worshiping some some dead person in a, in a grave someplace, but Lord, you are the resurrection and the life. And as we gather in this place, you're here today. You're leading and you're guiding us. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Lord, have your way, Lord, in each of our lives. Reveal what you would have for us today. Thank you that you meet each and every one of us, Lord, at our place of need. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Be glorified, Lord, in your church today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you were raised Catholic here? I, I was raised Catholic. It was always a, I, my wife and I talk about this all the time. We the Lord tends to bring us a lot of people that have come out of the Catholic background. And I, you know, growing up, my concept of church was, you know, like. And we, and we do this with people like we were even talking about this just a few moments ago. Like people will come and they'll go, this is the, like, like, like this is God's house. And, and that was the case in the Old Testament, but it's not the case in the New Testament. God doesn't dwell in buildings. He's not as he was in the temple, right? And to come before the Lord in the temple, there were certain things that the priests had to do to consecrate themselves. And, you know, through a, a blood sacrifice and everything pointed to, you know, what Jesus would ultimately accomplish, you know, with his death and burial and his resurrection. And yet the New Testament church, as we see here in the book of Acts, isn't about a building at all. Matter of fact, the early church didn't have a building that they met in. It says that they met what? Daily, where'd they meet? From house to house. Yeah. So really the interesting, you know, point in all, it's me. It's it's people who love God and who His Spirit lives within, and that was this is the dynamic. So in some you know teachings, people will believe that well the the church is really all those who believe from Adam all the way through, and you go no no the the, the Bible is very explicitly clear that the church are is made up of those that what who have come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. You think about what was an apostle, and we'll get into this really in the days ahead. But to be an apostle. You had to experience certain things, right? So you had to walk with Jesus when he was here on the earth, and you had to be an eyewitness of what? To be an apostle. 
What do you have to be? Eyewitness of his resurrection, right? Yeah. So the resurrection preceded the birth of the church. So without the resurrection of Christ, there was no birth of the church. So it can't be something that was Old Testament. God had a plan for the nation of Israel. He still, as if you're with us in our study in the book of Romans, God still has a plan for the nation of Israel, but he's grafted us in. This is the beauty of what the church is. And uh, so it's a, it's a great study for us to see, you know, what the Lord began to do in and through the church that's made up of, like I said, people. Colossians 1.18 puts it like this, you know, we are the body of Christ, right? It says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is first in everything. You know, and you think about that, you know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit means, you know, it, here's how the Holy Spirit has incorporated, you could say, us into the body of Christ. We are saved by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 puts it like this, says, some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, and some of us are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. And one of the things that's so fun to get into as we you know, dig into the book of Acts is we are the body of Christ, and though we're one, we're many. And what makes us different are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God has gifted each of us, and he's given us gifts. And when you put all those gifts together, and they're functioning the way that God you know, intended in unity, that it leads to what? The effectual building up of the church in love. And it becomes something that the world can see, and they see you know, God operating in and through what? When we say the church, it's not a building. I mean, you can imagine how disappointed God would be if this was the church. I mean, come in, he goes, you guys haven't changed the paper ceiling since 1987. Because when we moved in and we, and we did this deliberately, because we had 25 acres down the street where the Daryl's mini storage is on White Lane. And uh, we had this, I mean, multi, multi-million dollar plan. Uh, we were actually working with Arco Solar here in Bakersfield. We were going to be the first solar-powered you know, building. It had it was a it was a geometrical dome, and all the roof panels were solar panels. And like three days before we were ready to break ground, Arco Solar backed out of it. They took like it was like a five million dollar grant that they were making. It was the only way we had the ability uh, to secure a loan to build the church. And all of a sudden, boom! You know, it was gone. And so when we were here, this was just temporary because we were going down the street. Well, after that, you know, it worked out where we ended up, the, the guy who owned this property wanted our 25 acres to develop it. So we did a trade. So we sold him that property and we ended up buying this one. But we made a determination then we would just leave the paper. And the paper would serve as a reminder to us that what? This isn't our home. This is just temporary, right? We're not putting a whole lot of effort, you know, into it. Uh, there's other things that we can, you know, we can invest in. And so um, it's just one of those things, like I said, when you understand the history, you know, even of this little building here, you know, that Larry was sharing, um, it's just, it's fascinating, you know, to me um, when, I, when I think about those things. Um, obviously, the baptism by the Holy Spirit, you know, began on the day of Pentecost, and, and it had to occur after Jesus' resurrection. That's so important that we understand that. Um, it, like I said, it's completely separate, the churches from God's dealing with the nation of Israel. 
um, you know, again, it was marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the outpouring of his spirit takes place 50 days after that event. You know, we look there in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And so, you know, if you study your, your Bible and look at the Old Testament, the day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast that was held 50 days after Passover. It was a time to celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. Um, and again, when you think about the, at Passover, what they celebrated with was the, they gathered the, the barley uh, and they presented that to the, to the Lord. There was the first sheaf that, that they, they gathered from the barley harvest and they would offer that to the Lord. But yet at Pentecost, we see in, in the book of Leviticus, in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 and 16, it was the first fruits of what? Of the wheat harvest that was given to the Lord. It says in Leviticus 23, it says, from the day after the Sabbath. So this was what? If Sabbath was Saturday, what day was Pentecost? Sunday. Yeah. So it's always been practiced and held on Sunday. Again, that's an important thing when you think about the birth of the church. And even, you know, when you think about seven-day Adventists versus, you know, those of us that meet on, on a Sunday, you go, it's pretty clear, you know, that this took place, you know, again, on the first day of the week. It's when the church gathered. It was when Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's when Pentecost took place. And it says, and from that day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later, then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So again, Pentecost is called the day of first fruits. And so you see that with obviously the 3,000 souls that are saved on the day of Pentecost here in the New Testament. Numbers 28, 26, put it like this, says, and the festival of the harvest, when you present the first of your new grain to the Lord, you must call an official day for holy assembly, and you do no ordinary work on that day. And so for the, the Jews, Pentecost was also called the joy of the law. And it was a day that they celebrated, and of all the things, they celebrated God giving the law to the nation of Israel. And so on the Old Testament day of Pentecost, you know, Israel received the law. And on the New Testament day of Pentecost, the church received the Spirit of God. And what a contrast, because remember when the law was given? What happened on the day that the law was given? It says 3,000 souls, what? Perished that day. But what happened on the day when the Spirit was given? It says 3,000 souls were what? Saved that day. Now, what do we learn from that? You know, the letter of the law does what? The Bible says, killeth. But the Spirit does what? Gives life. You know, yeah. What a contrast there that we would see that. And it says that all believers were together in one place. So you just think about this, 120 people. Now, those of us, how many have been to Israel, by the way? Yeah, a lot of us, yeah. And, and we've gone to what, you know, some would say is the upper room. Most people go, probably wasn't the upper room. Uh, just due to the fact when you walk in there, you go, man, if you had 120 people in there, I mean, in that little space, I mean, it, you know, it would have been literally standing room only, right? Um, but I love it because, you know, you do see on the day of Pentecost, you know, there was something that took place that day. You know, if you read, you know, church jokes, right? Church humor, you know, when you think about the day of Pentecost, they go, there, it was uh, the church set a record that day, right? It was the Guinness Book of World's Records on the day of Pentecost. There was 120 people that were packed into what? One accord. I go, so what was the first 
What was the first automobile mentioned in scripture? It was a Honda Accord, right? And they packed 120 people into it. That would be a miracle in and of itself, right? You know, how many of you had Volkswagens? Now, you remember how like people that had Volkswagens, they, for some reason, I don't know why it was always a Volkswagen, but they were always trying to set a record of how many people you could cram into a Volkswagen, right? And to think that here they are, you know, 120 people, they're all in one accord. Now, why is that so miraculous? I, I, I think, Randy, you're the one who shared this with me years ago. It was a joke, you know, our first, you know, trip to Israel, you know, I had the, the pleasure of going with Randy and Nita and um, they have a lot of Jewish friends. And, and Randy said, you know, one of his friends actually, I think had shared with him, Jewish friend. He said, you know, hey, just know this. He goes, don't, don't get in arguments because you know, he goes, Jewish people like to debate. Right? They like to argue about stuff. And he goes, and they yell, but, and, and it seems like they're mad, but they're not really mad. They're just very passionate. He goes, but know this. He said, if you get two Jews in a room together, you're going to get three opinions. And, and I just never forgot that because I, as we had discussions and stuff, it, it does, it gets, it gets pretty heated. So to think of the miracle here on Pentecost, you have 120 people and they're all what? In one accord. They're all in unity. You go, man, that is definitely, definitely an act of the Holy Spirit. But understand this, and don't miss this. You know, when we think about the acts of the Holy Spirit, that's really what we're studying. We go through the book of Acts here is, you know, the building didn't make the people a church. Okay. It's not the building that makes us a church. It's the people coming together that make it a church. Because you can have church, what? Wherever you're at. That's the beauty of it. I mean, and, and I love this because it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. And again, what, what do you learn from that? You go, Jesus told us this day would come, right? I mean, you're, you've seen that bumper sticker. If, if, if God said it, what? That settles it, right? You can bank on it. You can count on it. And Jesus promised. He said that this entity, the church, was coming, and, and, and there was something that they needed to do. They needed, and then they had to wait for the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait any longer for the Holy Spirit because the day of Pentecost has come. What you and I need to do is to learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit, to wait on the Lord. I always love what, you know, in Matthew chapter 16, remember, Jesus asked the question, you know, and Peter answers, he goes, who do people say that I am, right? And Peter got it right, right? He said, you are the Christ, right? You are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says to him, he says, and now I say to you, Peter, he says, which means rock, right? Petra, a little, was a small rock. He says, and upon this rock, he said, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The gates of hell will not prevail or stand against the church. Jesus made that promise. Look at 2,000 plus years later, we are still standing, amen? And the world has tried as hard. We look in the things in the news today. You can take prayer out of school. You can take the Bible out of hotel rooms. You can take the Ten Commandments out of the courthouse. But you cannot get rid of Jesus Christ. It's impossible because he lives not in buildings. He lives in people. He lives in our lives. And he lives in our lives. And so, again, the rock you know, wasn't Peter. The rock is Jesus. And, and that rock was that Jesus was talking about was for Peter and for you and I, it's the same thing. It's the confession of who Christ is. He's asking the same question today as he was asking then. Who do you say that Jesus is? And then does that, that confession, that profession, what difference does it make in your life? And then look what you know happens here 
on the day of Pentecost, because obviously this is the most important day in the life of the church, apart from the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the day of Pentecost, because this is the day that the church was born into this world. And again, the day that the Holy Spirit began to baptize all those who would gather together into the body of Christ and would fill them with God's power to do God's will, to do God's work in God's strength. And so you could say Pentecost was marked by two things. When you think about the day of Pentecost, it's really no different than it is today. It was marked by the presence of God. When a person comes to Christ today, what happens is you open your heart to Jesus, right? And what does he do? He comes into your life, right? And he makes a promise. That's one of the, that's to me is the ultimate of the celebration today that we have in communion is that he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Wherever you go, he is with you always. He said, even to the end of the age. And we have that as proof today in the body of Christ. And also we, uh, we understand as we study this, the power of God, the Holy Spirit came upon their lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul the apostle would write, works mightily in you. Now, I can't answer that for you. I can only answer that for me. Is the power of God in you? Is it working in you? you know, God wants it to be. And, and you can have that experience if you never have had it. You know, again, it's not to say that you're not saved. You're saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're talking about there is a distinct and separate relationship that we can have with the Holy Spirit. That, that's what he's drawing out here in the book of Acts. That's why he said, you know, again, Jesus had already died, right? He'd already been buried. He'd already resurrected. But he said to wait, wait, wait for the promise of the Father, which you will receive not many days from now. There was something very distinct about the, the giving of the Holy Spirit and how people could experience not only his presence, but his power. And it says in verse 2, it says, And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. It was a sound, right? It says a sound from heaven. It was like, it wasn't, but it was like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It was a, a phenomena that occurred there. It wasn't a windy day. It wasn't like, you know, it's the newscaster going, and today in Israel, on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born, it was a windy day. There was winds coming out of the north at 15 miles. That's not what he's talking about there. The wind wasn't blowing at all. He's helping us comprehend this, this phenomena that took place. And again, it was like a mighty windstorm. And you go, well, did God ever speak in a windstorm before that? Absolutely. Job chapter 38, when God spoke to Job, it says out of the whirlwind, God spoke to Job, right? You think about in John chapter 3, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back in his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows, he said, wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. See the connection there? He's connecting the dots. Interesting. You know, in the Hebrew and the Greek language, the word for wind, it's the same word that we have for spirit. In the Hebrew, the word is uh, ruach. In the Greek language, it is the word pneuma, you know, for breath. And so you have the, these words here that are the same for wind as we have for spirit. 
And you think, why? Well, God wants us to make that connection, the wind and the Spirit. Verse 3 goes on, it says, And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them. You know, it says, again, what looked like. It wasn't an actual, I mean, do you even know what a tongue of fire would look like? I mean, try to even picture that, right? It says what looked like flames or tongues of fire. That's just the only way that they they could explain it. It was another phenomenon. There was a, a sound, right? God was interacting with their senses. They heard something, and now they see something, right? They're experiencing it. But you think, why fire? Like the wind. Was this the first time that, that fire was used in Scripture? I think if you know Moses in Exodus chapter 3, how did he go about it? It says in Exodus chapter 3, it says, One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing what? Fire, yeah, from the middle of a bush. Why would that happen? Remember, you know, we think so much about the Father and the Son, but we don't really think about the person of the Holy Spirit. But what is God doing in the book of Acts? He's connecting the dots. So you have someone who has an Old Testament understanding. They go, there's fire. And then originally, you know, you start thinking, right? Well, where did we see wind? Have we ever seen wind before in the Bible? Oh, yeah, that wind. Yes, okay, we, but there's a connection to God. Fire. Has, has fire ever appeared? Yes, you know, God in the burning bush, you know, there with Moses. And he says, you know, isn't this is amazing. It says, Moses said to himself, why isn't the bush burning up? Same thing in, in Acts. And it's like, they're not on fire, right? I mean, that would look kind of interesting. You know, people like on fire, but they're not really burning. They're just running around. You go, oh, that was passion, whatever. He says, but why isn't that bush burning up in Exodus 3? He says, I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses. Well, what's Moses seeing? He's seeing a burning bush there, right? Exodus chapter 19 and 20 there on Mount Sinai when God gave the law to Moses. What, was, what did the people see taking place there on Mount Sinai? There was lightning, right? There was thunder. Yeah. There was smoke. My favorite you know, image, you know, when I think about you know, fire and I think about you know, lightning and I think about you know, how the Holy Spirit operates, you, know, you think about in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 13, you remember you know, when, when God was moving, remember, all the false gods of the, of the earth, you know, there was the God of the wind, there was God of fire, there was a God of the ocean, there was a God of the mountain, there was a God of the valley, there was gods for everything, right? But they go, but this God of Israel, he's unique because, again, what we celebrate in communion, you go, he tabernacles with his people, right? And it says, during the day, the Lord went before Israel, what? It says, as a pillar of what? A cloud, right? But at night, how did he go? As a pillar as of what? fire. You see the connection? They're making a connection between God and how the Holy Spirit is operating here in the book of Acts. And so again, remember, this is the acts of God, the acts of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And so the, again, these connections to these events would always be a reference to God himself. Again, the Holy Spirit isn't some force field you know, of God. He's a person. He's the third person in the Trinity here. And so again, wind and fire, always symbols of the presence of God. So it's only fitting, you know, on the day when God would fill his people with his presence and with his power, that he would use wind and he would use fire and that phenomena in that moment to draw them to himself. Verse four goes on, it says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them an ability. Okay. So again, we're reading about the birth 
of the church here. This has never been repeated the same way again in human history. That's so important because people are always going, well, we need to try to duplicate, you know, what they did. You go, no, this was a one-off. This was something that was so unique. This was like the birth of, of, of our daughter, our first, you can have other kids, but you'll never have another firstborn. You'll never have that exact, you know, experience ever again. And so all that 120 there that were present, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was there. And each one of them was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, or better put, they spoke in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Then in verse 5 and 6, it says, And at that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem, so we know who was there. It says, When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were perplexed, right? They were confused to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now, it's important that you understand in the Greek language, it's the, it's the word there, dialecto. It's where we get our English word dialect from. The people heard in their own native dialect. It was a known language, okay? And it says, and it's verse 7 and 8, it says, and they were completely amazed. It says, how can this be? Exclaim, they exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. So you go, what, what did they believe about the, Gal- the people from Galilee? It would be like comparing a, a liberal Democrat to a conservative Republican who drives a raised four-by-four truck with an American flag out the bed of the truck, right, who likes country music. You know, I mean, you go, they're, they're, they're about as far apart, like, as you could probably get, right? And, and all kinds of derogatory things could be you know, said about that person. But in the book of Acts, we see these Galileans, they were, they were like, they, they consider them to be like hillbillies, right? That, that's really in the truest sense. They, these guys, they're in, but it, it's answered in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, the members of the, the Sanhedrin of the Jewish council, it says, they were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men. They were what? They were hillbillies, right? And it says they had no special training. It says some of your translations say, and they were uneducated men, right? But what did they have? They had spent time with Jesus, and that was undeniable. So it's not, you know, what you knew, it was who you knew, right? Made all the difference in the world. So it says, so they recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Like I said, um, it's one of those, you really, you, you just have to look at the history of it and you go, okay, it make, makes perfect sense. But they were amazed. In verse 8, and it says, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Like I said, you've got the, the Parthians, the Medes, the, the Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the pri- province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and says, and the areas of, of Libya. I mean, this is the, the known world, right? I mean, we're not talking about a day's journey. We're not talking about two days' journey. We're talking about, you know, weeks' journey to come back for the, these festivals. And so they're going, how could they possibly have known our language? They've never even been to our, to our country. I mean, believe it or not, you know, the first time I went to New York City on a missions trip, and you'd think going to New York City on a missions trip, you go, yes, we, we went to the Bronx. And when we were there, we were going to do work for a church that uh, had the largest sidewalk Sunday school in the United States. They literally, 
just go out into the projects and they would have thousands of kids that would come out and they literally just sit on the steps of buildings. It's like a built-in cathedral, right? I mean, just picture a you know, humongous building in New York with, with 50 steps that goes up to you know, the entrance. And so they would just bring speakers out. They'd put them down on the sidewalk. They'd have the kids come out. Well, they go, we need you guys to come back and do our chores. So we sent a group back there. And the week that we were there, we painted their entire sanctuary. That's what we did. We never went out other than we went out on work detail to clean up lots. And at that time, they put all their trash on barges. And so we would go and clean up lots and you'd pick up like at night, you know, they would, people would dump it. It was the weirdest thing. So, you know, when you, I don't know about you, but when I, when I do something, like if I clean the garage, you hate it when it starts, right? Cause you're like, oh my gosh. You know, and then you get it all done and everything's back in like it's perfect place. And you go, yes, everything. It's like a Jesus moment, right? Done decently and in order, right? And my wife likes it like that. And she hates it when stuff is out of order. Well, in, in New York, we clean these lots off. I mean, we'd spend all day. I mean, morning to five o'clock in the afternoon, we'd get it completely cleaned out. We'd make five or six trips to the dump. And, and we're driving past the same lot the next day. And I look over there and there's 12 refrigerators, 14 sofas, trash and everything. And I go, hey, I go, didn't we clean that, that lot last night? And they go, yeah. They go, welcome to New York. And I'm telling you, I was, I was like mad. I was like, we just cleaned that. And they go, well, you're going to clean it again today, too. I was like, <laughs> so I asked them, I said, you know, I go, they said, well, and, and know this, Mike, you can go to this store over here across from the church, but you can't go to the one on the corner over here. I go, why? And they go, because and the term they use was they'll roll you. They'll roll me. They go, yeah, they'll take your money and they'll beat you up. I go, no, they won't. This is America. And they go, the pastor looks at me, he goes, Mike, this is not America. This is New York. I go, really? And he goes, do you know we speak over 150 dialects here? And they took us around and they showed us that you could go into boroughs and they have all, you know, you've had Arabs and it was an Arab street. It's all in Arab. If you go to a Jewish quarter, it's all in Hebrew. You know, if it's in Spanish, it's, you know, I mean, 150 dialects. And nobody really embraces other people. It's like, you know, on your street, whatever your dialect is, you got your own grocery store, your own doctor, your own this, your own that. And they just keep to themselves. They go, this is not <laughs> the United States. This is New York. And I'm thinking, wow. And this, so to see this in Israel, everybody coming together, fascinating, fascinating. You know, you know in Acts chapter 2, and I, I just want to, we're going to end with this, but I want you to think about this. You know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want you to miss this because this, like I said, we're going to spend a little bit of time over the next few weeks because I think tongues is one of those gifts in the body of Christ that has done way more damage than good because of the confusion that it brings. And so when you look at this, you know, God is not the author of confusion. Amen. He, and he wants the gifts to function in the life of the church. That, that's how it, it really sets the church apart, you know, from every other entity. But think about this, as you're studying this and you read through this, it's pretty safe to say that tongues were always directed towards God and not towards man. Can you see that there? It says they heard them what? Praising God, right? It wasn't a prophecy. Like if you, I've been part of a, an Assembly of God church, and I've sat in many services where, you know, the pastor would say, you know, hey, does anybody have a tongue? And someone would speak, you know, in a tongue. And then they'd go, well, in order to honor God's word, is there an interpretation? And the first thing that the person would say, they'd say, my little children, and they would go off into this thing. And you'd look and you go, well, that can't be a tongue. 
A tongue can't be a prophecy. Prophecy can be prophecy, and it could be a great prophecy, but it can't be the interpretation of a tongue because any tongue that's spoken in Scripture is a prayer or a praise directed specifically to God. Does that make sense? And if you get that, then you go, man, you're going to, oh, it's going to save a lot of hurt and heartache. So when you look at here in Acts chapter 2, now remember it says, and they spoke in a known language. They heard them in their own dialect, right? They heard them in their own language. They were not, people go, well, that's uh, you know, how evangelism, they, they weren't evangelizing. They weren't sharing the gospel. That doesn't happen until verse 14 when Peter stands up. What this, is, what this is doing here, this is they're praising God in their own language, right? They're, they're, it could be a prayer. It was a praise to God. They're, they're, this is like what we just did in prayer and praise. We weren't evangelizing. We were, we were worshiping God. We were doing exactly what Larry said, that we're exalting God in this place. And, and that's what they were doing. Yes, it led to then evangelism that took place, but the gift of tongues in the book of Acts wasn't for the believer. Understand this. Who was it for? You go, it was for the non-believer, right? It was, to, it was to create an attraction. When you study in 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, 14 in particular, where it gets into the word tongue there, it's not the word dialect. It's the word glossinea. It's where we get our English word glossary, which means organized word. So in any sense, both are organized. Both are in order. But the 1 Corinthians 14 tongue was directed as well to God, but it was for the benefit of the church, the benefit of the believer. So in Acts, we have, you know, we have dialect going out to the non-believer. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we have tongues being spoken in the church for the benefit of the church to edify the believer. And we've made church you know, about the non-believer, and that's not what church was really ever to be about. Church is when the church comes together to do what? To worship God. Yes, can people come and get saved? You go, yes, there can be evangelism. But the purpose of the church was to praise God, was to worship God. It didn't change in the sense of the Old Testament as well. What did they do? They, they would come and they would offer a sacrifice, right? And the difference in the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made, did it forgive them of their sin? You go, no. All that the offering and the sacrifice did in the Old Testament was cover their sin for what? One year at the most. But Jesus came once and for all as the Lamb of God. What did he do? Did he cover our sin? You go, no, he took it away so that we could now come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need. And so, again, so important, you know, that we get this. And, and you know, I'm, I'm going to end it there because, like I said, there, there's so much more that, uh, you know, I want to cover with that. I'm going to go back over that, but I want to read to you verses 12 and 13. So it says, then they stood there amazed and perplexed. And it says, what can this mean? It says, they asked each other. So they heard this tongue. They heard them praising God, right? And giving thanks to God in their own language, right? And they heard this and, and they heard it in their own dialect. And it, and it caused this, they were perplexed. They were amazed, right? It, it, it was drawing them in, you could say. And it says, and here's the sad thing, and this happens in every church. It happens in this church. Every church is made up of two types of people. And you see it right here. There are those that when they hear, they hear things, they're perplexed. They might even be confused. But what do they do? They dig in, right? They ask questions and they want to go 
deeper into it, right? And that's what some did this day. And then obviously 3,000 souls were added to the church. But you also have those that hear it in verse 13. It says, but others in the crowd, they ridiculed them saying, they're just drunk. That's all. So there's the person who's amazed and wants to know more. There's then the other person who just mockingly, you know, says, oh, they're just drunk and just totally discounts it. And I see that with regard to the gifts of the Holy Spirit today. There's those that, man, they want every gift that God would offer to them, right? And again, the Holy Spirit gives gifts as what? He wills. I've prayed with so many people that go, Pastor Mike, I wanted the gift of tongues and I didn't get it. And I go, okay, well, God didn't give it to you. Well, the pastor told me that I could have it and that every believer, and I go, well, I mean, that's not what I say in scripture. Paul said, do all speak in tongues? And he said, no, no, not everybody has the gift of tongues. You go, if you don't, he's got a different gift for you. And that's an awesome thing. But to say that everybody's supposed to, you know, to have this, you go, it is outside, you know, what I see clearly in scripture that it's not. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills. But what should we want? We should want everything that God has for us. And then you have, like I said, the other person is the person who just says, ah, you know, they're drunk. So what, what do we want to be? What do we want to do? And I close with this. We want to ask God to help us be people who are constantly standing in awe of God. Amen? And you go, what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? That you might desire the greater gifts, right? The greatest gifts. We should be praying that all the time. God, I, I want more of you, right? I want more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't know the last time you even prayed that, but I pray that you pray it today, that you go, God, I want everything that you want for me. I want the gifts of your spirit. And I think about, you know, what Paul would write to the church in Ephesus in, in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. He says, don't be drunk with wine. He says, because that'll ruin your life, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when you think about that, you know, that's an imperative, right? That's a command, but it's in the passive tense, meaning you can't do it yourself. The Holy Spirit has to do it for you. So you, you, what do we do? We present ourselves to God and we go, God, fill me up. And, I, and what did I, I've been telling you since we started this, Jesus said, if you ask, you ask the Father for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, he gives it to everyone who asks. The same way we get saved by inviting Jesus into our life. You know, we pray and we go, God, I need your spirit. And only you can, you think about, if, I mean, have you, have you received a new gift? There's greater manifestations, you know, of God that he wants to demonstrate in and through our life. You know, you, people go, what's the greatest gift that's needed? You know, the greatest gift is the one that's needed at the moment, right? That, that's the beauty of it. And that we would be a, a church that is in tune and in touch with him and we're gone, God, pour out your gifts upon our life that we can function within that. There'd be greater manifestations. He says, and, and you watch this in Ephesians 5. So you, can, you see when the Holy Spirit's been poured out, right? Because what happened? When the Holy Spirit was poured out, it says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourself, making music to the Lord in your heart and giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I, I see a, a beautiful correlation. Every time that the Holy Spirit's poured out, what happens in the heart of that person? They begin to praise God. They begin to sing to God. You want to sing to God. You want to praise God. And you go, and, and, you, you think, and you go, well, there's the original evidence. It's not that in the sense we're speaking in some foreign tongue, but that, man, the evidence of, is God's love in our life, that we love him and we appreciate him, and we want to praise him, and we want to give him thanks, and we want that to be known. And we want, in the true sense, we want everybody <laughs> to know what we know at that point, right? Because you go, man, what, what could top that? And you go, nothing.
And that's what leads us to communion, to celebrate today afresh. You go every time he said, you take this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim my death until what? I come again. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, I'm coming for you and I'll receive you to myself. And what Jesus promised, he has always been faithful to do. Amen. And we can bank in that today. We can rest in that today. And I pray that you do. And so as we receive, you know, communion today, just enjoy this. It'll be how we'll close out the service. So just enjoy this moment with him. Father God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your life. We thank you for the outpouring of your spirit. And we look at the, the church there at Pentecost that, God, you not only save people, but Lord, you, you fill people with your presence. You fill people with your power. And Lord, I pray today for your church. I pray for this church that, God, you'd fill us up overflowing with more of you, that your gifts, Lord, would, would flow from our life. Because, Lord, when they do, the church is encouraged, the church is built up. And then, Lord, as we go out, then we go out in power and strength, Lord, to be a witness to an unbelieving world that when they see our life, they see the presence, they see the power of God. And so, Lord, if they're not seeing that, that God help us today to, to Lord, to look to you and invite you, God to fill us. May you do that even now as we celebrate communion with you, loving you afresh today, being reminded. You said every time that we would, we would do this, we do it in remembrance of you. And we do that today. And we love you for loving us. Love you for, Lord, coming and dying for us. We love you for rising again on the third day. Have your way, Lord, in your church today, we pray in Jesus' name. So just enjoy this time. We'll send you out with song and communion. You don't have to hurry unless you got kids that, well, they can't be because they're done the service. So you're, you're safe. Just enjoy this moment, just loving Jesus and worshiping him.